Welcome to the Forex Analytics Community Experience, or FACE, podcast. Dale Pinkert interviews some of the sharpest and most knowledgeable people in the financial markets daily. Also, you can go directly to forexanalytics.com or find us on YouTube to watch these interviews live and get fresh, intraday macro and technical analysis of the currency, stock, and commodities markets daily from the Forex Analytics team. Our FACE show is free every trading day. Now here's your host, Dale Pinkert. Thank you very much, Blake, team, everyone. Okay, so Angie, welcome back to FACE. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Okay, so uh, we've had some major moves uh, with the Fed uh, and the markets and risks coming back. When are we going to get some action in the grains? And what are you thinking? <laughs> oh, I mean, I think uh, uh, there's there's got to be a fundamental catalyst that we're going to need to to see happen here that's going to kind of provide us this ability to break out of the range, I think. Um, and there's a few things that could come from that. I mean, most of what we're watching right now kind of hinges on two separate things, which is South American weather. We need to know what we're going to see when it comes to uh, Brazilian and in Argentina uh, production specifically, their weather will will definitely influence everything that that happens there. And then, you know, how strong is China's demand going to be? Um, you know, we've seen them be relatively uh, strong when it comes to soybean imports over the last year. I've seen them, you know, near a, a record amount of soybean imports here over the last year. And so the question is, does that continue? You know, or did they do some restocking? And and you know, what does that mean for U.S. demand as a whole? Okay, so uh, definitely, uh, uh, is there any kind of seasonal pattern as we go into winter that we should be aware of? Uh, looks like you know, the beans are acting the best, trying to dig their heels in. Uh, corn, I think, just made new lows, mm -hmm. and wheat Close is to it, not yeah. making yeah not quite making new lows. So um, you would think there's at least a bear market rally in these, uh, perhaps a weaker dollar will end up supporting the grains. You think that the strong dollar has been part of the problem? Yeah, I think, you know, the strong dollar limits our ability to compete globally. Um, and so what we've seen is just a really slow start to to exports as a whole. We've seen soybean exports slower than than what you would like to see there. The USDA has already anticipated that, you know, soybean exports on the year are going to be in line with with where we were at during the trade war. You know, they're going to be incredibly low um, compared to what we've been used to the the last few years. So there are our bar is already low and we're we're kind of underperforming that still. Now wheat, we have seen a pretty substantial pickup in export business, mostly the Chicago, you know, the soft red winter variety. China had some pretty major problems with um, rainfall, heavy rainfall ahead of uh, harvest there. And it damaged a significant amount of their wheat. And so we're really kind of watching to see what, what that looks like. So wheat exports have picked up significantly. Corn exports, we've seen really strong demand um, from Mexico, which has been interesting because Mexico has been in the headlines or of conversation simply because of their stance on non-GMO and the, the U.S. kind of arguing with them about what they're going to do from a, uh, an import standpoint when it comes to, to non-GMO corn. Um, so we we need to see a, what would be our traditional world buyers outside of Mexico come into corn and you know, like I said, a few other things. Like the problem right now is we're just kind of here um, and nothing is really indicating that we're going to be well outside the range, currently at least, yeah. of, you know, what is anticipated. And so that just keeps us 
I call it violently range bound um, in grains. And, and so I think what we're seeing really currently right now is a lot of folks are just setting themselves up to, to buy on our, our dips. Um, and then they sell when we reach some of these resistance levels. And we just haven't been able to have this follow through. Like you saw corn trade up above $5, you know, for a, sh- a day, um, December corn, we have a gap at 524 on the chart and we still just couldn't muster strength much beyond 510, you know, and now we're back, uh, two weeks later to, to 473 on the board and, and testing the, the lows. And so yeah. we just really right now, there's a, a lot of things that could develop and, and turn into bullish stories. Um, but if they don't, if, if Brazil produces a crop that's in line with current expectations and China demand really just kind of remains lukewarm when it comes to, to U.S. products, grains don't really have a story. Unfortunately, you know, we, yeah. we just are kind of here right now. So do people hedge at these levels, Angie, or they they uh, lift their hedges? No, farmers, for the most part right now, we're not actively doing much. Soybean harvest is continuing. And so some folks are kind of out producing what they had anticipated to produce. And so that's helpful, you know, when it comes to um, making additional sales and, and things of that nature. We've been just kind of cognizant of what the range has been. So we were aggressive, you know, with, with adding additional hedges in if we felt we were undersold, you know, around that 510, 515 on the March board and corn. Uh, we have targets to see if we can get back up around that 1330 level in beans. And so no one's really aggressively selling this level as a farmer unless they, you know, need to turn the bushels into cash or have an overabundance of production that they weren't necessarily anticipating. How about on the meat side of the equation? What's been going on? I haven't looked at uh, live cattle, hogs, bellies, any of that in, in years. Uh, I, I took a glance, I don't know. A few months ago, and you know, the prices I remember and the prices that we have now, <laughs> I know what I Very paid for a, ribeye, for a ribeye steak at the store. It's, uh, it's a lot. So uh, what's been happening with the meats? Yeah, we've just seen, you know, in, in times of higher input costs when it comes to fattening cattle and just feeding livestock in general, you tend to see a, a bit of a contraction in, in herd size. It, it costs more, the margins are squeezed, there's more risk associated with kind of feeding these animals. Um, and so you've really seen that happen when it comes to beef cattle across the U.S. over the last couple of years. We've seen basically the the beef herd shrink to its smallest level and in several decades. I think it's almost 40 years, maybe more than that. Someone can can yell at me that's an expert in the livestock side of things. But, you know, when it, really when it comes down to it, we've seen our supply kind of continue to shrink. Um, and from an overall standpoint, the question now becomes, um, what happens with demand? Does the consumer really start to cut back when you're looking at seven, eight dollars a pound ground beef? Um, you know, what does that mean when it comes to the biggest demand sector for for beef, which is fast food, you know, hamburger and things of that nature? Do we see more in the way of of um, you know, cattle being brought in, imports of of different cuts of of beef, things of that nature? You know, so from an economic standpoint. We kind of don't have a reason to sell off in in fat cattle um, simply because we just don't have a lot of them. And we really haven't seen any major signs of a significant reduction in demand. Um, yeah. And so the market's job is going to be to try to encourage an increase in production because we're, we're going to need it, um, obviously, or kind of try to get that consumer to, to change their preferences, which is part of why you've seen chicken you know, poultry prices rally and things of that nature because the consumer has transitioned, but, you know, it's it's difficult to be nimble in the livestock sector. Look at the, this low was right around uh, 
a, a lot of lows during COVID mm -hmm. and, and never looked back. Uh, see, these are the prices I remember, Angie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, so we're talking about a triple mm -hmm. from yeah. where we used to be um, historically. Um, pretty amazing. What's most uh, amazing is the experts in the business are still bullish. You know what I mean? And so I'm not yeah. going to call myself an expert. I kind of watch livestock out of the corner of my eye because it's a, an important demand sector and it has an influence on farmer profitability as a whole. Um, but the experts are, are still very bullish fat cattle. And so I just sit and kind of watch astounded, you know, simply because we yeah. are in such rare air. Yeah. So I, I believe there was some avian flu just in time for Thanksgiving. So yeah. people pay up for turkeys. They said that turkeys are cheaper this year. Um, so I'll be waiting to see if if that is true or or not. That was a headline on the news the other day. But that's really avian flu is is quite seasonal, and I think the fall outbreak has been a lot lower than than what we had seen in the spring. So at least we have that oh. going for us. I just heard there was going to be some major culling of uh, the turkeys. Uh, yeah, in time for Thanksgiving. Okay, well, that's so. You know, I, I love turkey. Me too. I'm looking uh, forward anyways. to it right now. <laughs> anyway, the L tryptophan. So um, what else are you uh, you doing? Anything new business side for you, Angie? Or are you looking for people that may be interested? They're not farmers, but they trade everything. It doesn't matter what the symbol is. As long as there's a chart, uh, would you like people to follow you come to your website um, yeah yeah you can check out our website at consusag.net and so that's changed a bit here uh, my husband carl joined me the first of october and so uh my husband uh and i between the two of us we have almost 50 years of experience so i won't embarrass him by saying that he has 10 years oh i just said it he has 10 years more than me but uh we yeah. both met you know we both have a, a in-depth background in uh risk management on the commercial side and when it comes to working with farmers but in addition to that we also you know really pay attention to what's going on in the world market and so this market structure is very different than what you've seen over the last couple of years i think there's been a lot of people that have been somewhat you know i'm going to call them commodity tourists because of the inflation conversation and some of these other yeah. things and so it's easy to get sucked into a market narrative potentially that could be false or or could, you know, not be supported by the underlying fundamentals. Because one of the things that is great about grains and, and oil seeds, you know, more than than really anything else is that the cash market is the North Pole, you know, in, in that regard. It's such a um transparent and and really kind of heavily traded market around the world from a physical grain standpoint that what is taking place in the world cash market really has a big influence on what happens when it comes to spreads and and futures movement as a whole and so one of the things that we do like you know I enjoy doing especially is working with folks outside of the industry um to just kind of explain here are the things that matter here are the seasonals here are the the situations that could influence price direction you know, and here's what you want to be watching because these are the underlying, you know, bubbles that'll turn into a market story later on. And so, yeah, our website yeah. And, and we're pretty flexible um, when it comes to to consulting relationships on, on what that looks like. But we also put out um, a decent amount of commentary each day and, and a weekly overview and some of these other things that we find are are very valuable. Do you find that um, FX movements in USD1 um, affect 
uh, China's behavior in the grain markets? Do you follow I think it? so. I, I think the, the Brazilian currency can influence it more than the, what we see happen with the, the dollar um, and the Chinese yuan. But I it definitely has an influence because it reduces or influences their buying power um, or makes them want to look in a different direction. You know, we've seen it here with currency conversion happenings where, um, you know, Brazilian farmers are getting more for their product, even though on the global market, they're selling it cheaper. Um, and so there's a lot of influence there that we have to watch on a day-to-day -day basis that can kind of impact grain movement uh, on the whole. Okay, so Brazil, um, Argentina, you don't even know what kind of currency they're going to have there. Uh, right. and it, Argentina and their own. They have a, an export program right now that they've been working on. One of the things that we are watching, though, in Argentina, now that you brought it up, um, you know, is the the outsider that is coming in that a lot of folks thought was going to win in the the last election primary. Um, he's pushing to you know really kind of return to a dollar peg in their currency, um, and that could have some huge farmers in the country because currently, right now, they keep their grain and and um, soybeans as a hedge against inflation um, because they turn that into dollars when they sell it. And so, if we were to see that sort of hedge against inflation removed, you would probably see a, a pretty sharp transition in world cash market trades, you know, because the Argentina farmer would completely different approach. So we'll be holding our breath for a couple of weeks to see who kind of pulls that election out. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a, a coin toss, but it will be interesting because it could have some pretty major implications. You know, Brazil, if you look at South America, Brazil has grown exponentially when it comes to their agriculture sector, while Argentina's yeah. actually actually contracted, and both are are pretty capable. And so it's just economic conditions that have had that influence. And so we'll definitely be watching the election here to see what that means for for their economy and, and their farmers going forward. Yeah, I have this, uh, you know, uh, Brazilian currency against the yen and against uh, the yuan, and Brazil's been outperforming uh, for mm -hmm. a while. Uh, Tavi Costa was—I had these up for him because he uh, is very bullish Brazil. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, how about uh, what's going on with um, politics? Uh, <laughs> anything happening that you know we have to be keeping an eye on? Uh, USDA, uh, could programs be cut? Um, is that, a, you know, are we going to still continue to use corn for ethanol? Uh, you know, there seems to be plenty of it around, so it's not as much of an issue. Uh, if we are in a bull market in corn, it becomes more of an issue. Anything on the, um, you know, the, the um, biofuel side? Mm-hmm that yeah. uh, you're paying attention to? Yeah, uh, we're just watching. I mean, we obviously have seen pretty substantial growth in the biofuel sector, specifically biodiesel and renewable diesel. So we've seen these major crush projects kind of kick in. And so that's been helpful. I talk a lot about poor exports and, you know, kind of dismal sales when it comes to China and some of these other folks. But, um, you know, we're transitioning here in the U.S. to a, a domestic user of beans. And so previously... You know, we were about half and half. We would crush half the crop and, and turn it into soybean oil and soybean meal and, and use those products. And we would export the other half for other countries to do the same. Um, with the kind of intro of renewable diesel and biodiesel and some of these other subsidies that we've seen, you know, there's been a pretty substantial increase in domestic crush. Um, and you've seen 
um, the oil market, soybean oil market get really volatile. We're seeing soybean meal get really volatile. Some of that has to do with Argentina, but um, you know, the, the change in market structure is big and it's quick and it's noticeable. Um, in addition, we had yesterday the major airline groups through their support behind um, SAF, Sustainable Airline Fuel, using ethanol. And so prior, you know, the, in the Inflation Reduction Act, one of the things that was disappointing to the ethanol camp was that SAF, the the math that they used to determine whether or not it was kind of one of those carbon neutral sort of fuel supplies, um, it, that left ethanol out. The the program or the the uh whatever the whatever they call it the formula that they're using um okay. it does it just doesn't count ethanol as a, a carbon neutral crop and this isn't an opinion i i am i am not a scientist but we did see delta and others kind of throw their support behind a different formula that would allow ethanol to be used and so that could be big um you know one of the things that we have heard about over the last few years in ethanol is that you're going to see demand continue to fall off because of you know reductions in gasoline demand due to EVs and some of these other things and so if we can yeah. kind of provide a a secondary market structure for this ethanol that we have you know not only does that kind of help continue to support the production that we have in place but it also can kind of incentivize um, some infrastructure gains. So that'll be something we're watching. It's in the hands of the Treasury Department now. So Janet Yellen, I guess, makes that decision, which is interesting in and of itself. Um, and we'll know that more in, in December. Uh, of course, throughout all industries, lower interest rates would help. How will it affect um, the agricultural industry if um, we're seeing a peak in interest rates? If we see a peak, um, you know, I think it, it's not necessarily where we peak. It's how long we see sustained levels as, as high as what they are. Um, you know, I think that that really kind of matters. And so one of the things that we're seeing is that it costs more to hold bushels. I think that's part of the reason that you're seeing a slowdown in world demand as a whole. You know, you're not going to be in a huge hurry to go out and buy as much product as you possibly can when you're looking at holding a bushel of corn costing you, you know, seven to nine cents bushel of wheat's nine to 12 cents, give or take, yeah. and beans are almost 20 cents a bushel per month just on interest costs alone. Wow. Um, and so you're seeing um, the world pipeline, you know, the world demand for one stay um, a little hesitant or at least a little bit slower because it costs so much more, you know, not only to, to own supplies, but to hold them. Um, but in addition to that, you're also going to see folks who have supplies on hand be a more willing seller in this market structure, just because, like I said, it costs so much more to hold it. Uh, the value of having cash in hand is is almost greater than the value of, of trying to guess what happens next in the market. And so I think there's going to be a lot of different things that kind of happen as a result, you know, and, and back to your political conversation. And when it comes yeah. to growth and domestic demand, a lot of that's going to be hinging now on subsidies and tax credits and things of that nature, because you're going to have to kind of increase the incentive um, in investing in infrastructure when it costs so much more to do so. And so there's going to be some pretty big factor. I mean, it's going to probably slow down equipment purchases. You're going to see, you know, other transactions be impacted. The value of cash starts to change. So do you see, um, you know, a slowdown in some of these gains in land values that you've seen at auctions? Do we see a, a departure from some of these investment groups that have been buying a lot of this land? You know, there's certain things that that could really influence this, the picture in agriculture overall very long term, you know, but a lot of that just depends on how long rates remain elevated more so than than how high they hit, you know, how quickly we roll back will probably have a greater influence than anything else. Okay, so 
again, rates play a big part of everything in every industry, the cost of money. Uh, so that's real interesting, the carrying charges, the de incentivizing people from holding positions. Yeah. And that influences yeah, That may be too. part of the problem. So maybe, uh, <laughs> it is. right? Well, so go ahead. Oh, I was, that's what I was going to say from a money flow standpoint. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to get yeah. speculators to come in and buy a front month. That's 25 cents less than the Jan. You know what I like now? No, if Jan's rolling off here pretty soon, you look at the soybean spreads, but you know, to see November to January carry at the widest level in over 23 years, that says a lot. And it kind yeah. of dis discourages, you know, active speculative participation, unless you're just going to kind of get in and get out, which a lot of the speculators that are traditional, participants in the ag markets tend to get in and and just kind of hang out for a while um and so that's the other thing that's part of the reason why you're seeing you know in the commitment of traders reports the the yeah. outside traders are you know short in wheat short in corn and and sitting you know close to short in soybeans or at some of their lowest length and in, in uh since the spring and so there's a lot of things that are happening there that that influence and and yeah so you you've got to pay more to hold bushels and and the market structure is showing that as well Okay, well, uh, you know, I encourage people to follow this story. Um, you saw what happened to beef prices. One day that's going to happen to grain prices. So pay attention, and, and Angie would be a great resource for people interested in the fundamentals of what's happening in the grain complex. So, Angie, I want to thank you again for coming in here and updating us about what you're seeing uh, from your standpoint in the middle of uh farmland and thank you for state. having me yeah i always love um, coming on to talk oh okay well uh, uh, great to have you and appreciate you your giving spirit of giving your time to talk about these things there aren't a lot of people with coverage on the grains i think they're important you can't eat gold that is true you can try right. but it'll hurt all right well you're your your friends that were worried about the dollar when it was, you know, um, actually in good shape and we had that huge dollar rally, uh, now might be a time for dollar hedges. There's a dollar. Will, we'll, have to, we'll have to have you come back on and talk to them too in that group one of these days. Okay. So thank you, Angie. I mean, have a great holiday season and we'll speak in the winter um, when you're going to be needing. How do you heat your house? Natural gas or? Propane. Propane? Okay. Yep. So uh, so we'll, uh, you could be assured prices are going to be heading up on uh, everything. Natural <laughs> gas, <figure>. everything. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. Angie Setzer, everybody. Follow her on Twitter at Goddess of Grains. And here's her website. Consus Ag.net. And you could just, uh, you know, enter your name and and be up to date with what's happening in the agricultural sector. Thank you, Angie. Thank you. Have a good day. All right. Adios. And that's a wrap for me, everybody. <laughs>